It was Proverbs chapter 22 that I used to introduce this series a month and a half ago. And by the grace of God, we'll finish it today. We'll consider a few shorter topics, some of maybe less importance than than some of the ones we've dealt with before, but yet found in the Word of God and important for us to maintain in a day where our whole society is collapsing around us and the Christians are collapsing right along with them. You know, the Roman Empire was once a great and dreadful beast, meaning that it was once a great and powerful empire. And it fell, first internally, and then it was overthrown from the outside. Our nation is falling right now internally, and it will be overthrown as well by men alone if Jesus Christ doesn't come. And if He comes, He'll overthrow it Himself. The whole society is collapsing. The change in our lifetimes is dramatic by even the ungodly in our nation because of the influence of the Christians in our nation. But it's now Christian churches that have joined the flight away from the Bible and toward every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. We live in that time. God's chosen you for this time. We live in the lap of luxury in many respects. And at the same time, we see such a decay all around us. Lord, let us be like Josiah. What a restorer of the breaches and a rebuilder of the walls. He heard the Word of God and it convicted him so greatly that he gathered together all Judah and Jerusalem to stand to a covenant and they stood to it. And then he tore the nation apart as he got rid of every evil thing that he could spy. Everything he could see, he got rid of it. We want to be like Josiah. For those of you listening to this tape or watching this video, I would highly recommend that you go read 2 Kings 23, 1 through 25, Hebrews 3, 7 through 19, Revelation 3, 1 through 13, to get the background that we've already received this morning. And if you really want a background, go read Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, which we read last night. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. We have fathers that are called prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have set landmarks, and we want to keep those landmarks. Solomon may have met the protection of real property by this verse, but we are applying it spiritually to the protection of spiritual property, the church and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over a little ways to Jeremiah chapter 6. Let's remind ourselves of some of these wonderful verses that we do not want to forget. Young men, your fathers have you here in this church this morning for you not to remove the ancient landmarks that we have set. Your family will depend upon you. We do not want our families depending upon your wives. We want them depending upon you. This is most serious. Or you shall all die and be nothing but worm food. Josiah died and had quite an epitaph on his stone that told him that there hadn't been a king before him or after him that had turned to the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, strength like Josiah did. You'll you'll remember from that reading that we just had that Josiah saw a title. What he meant was a tombstone. He saw a tombstone. He said, whose is that? And they said, that's the prophet that came from Judah and prophesied that you were going to do these things. And he said, leave that grave untouched. Tear up the rest, but leave that one untouched. I want all of you to have stones like that for the glory of God. 
for the glory of God and the defense of the truth and for no other reason. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, let these words sink again into your soul. Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 6.16, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Men today will not walk in the old paths. They hate the old paths. They ridicule the old paths. The old paths are boring. I can't endure the old paths anymore. I don't like sound doctrine. I get tired of preaching. I get tired. You guys read the Bible so much in that church, it bores me. It puts me to sleep. Well, listen, that's fine. There's 600 other churches in this county that will give you what you want. You can go sit with them for 55 minutes and get a bunch of drivel and twaddle out of their mouths, and then you can go home and watch fell. Go for it. There's doors on this room. And we love everyone that loves the truth. But those that don't love the truth, God's going to send you strong delusion to believe a lie anyway. We don't want you around. Listen, the world doesn't love the old paths anymore. They want new ways, new entertainment, new inventions that will tickle their, their, their ears and that will scratch their itching lusts so that they can entertain the unregenerate and carnal Christians. They can all be warm and happy and feel fuzzy and leave bouncing around with their toes tapping because of the, the praise band they just heard. Thank the God of heaven that we have a psalter and we have some hymns and some hymnals with old hymns. We started off with one, the old 100th. That tune's been used for 500 years. The words have been used in that order for almost 500 years. The second song we sang, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. The words were written 200 to 300 years ago, and the tune's 400 years old. We were singing with our fathers. We were singing the landmarks. We don't want to forget them. We want to go to God's Word. We want to stand. We want to see. We want to look around. We want to spy what's wrong. We want to find the good way, the old paths, and we want to walk in them. And anything that's contrary to them, we're going to hate, and we're going to blast it with the Word of God. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. That is the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't mean. He was the humblest man and God loved him and set him up on high as an example in the Bible of a man after his own heart. And he used the word hate. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. You can't love what is good unless you hate what is wrong. You can't love them both and you can't feel neutral toward them. If you love something, the more you love it, the more you hate what is opposite that. Lord, help us to be lovers of the truth and haters of vain thoughts. Come all the way over to Jude, the little book of Jude. And let's remind ourselves that what we're doing is scriptural. We are reminding ourselves of the faith once delivered to the saints. We have got to stand for it in a day of change. The little epistle of Jude right before the book of Revelation, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The the faith of God, the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith that the Bible says there is one faith. That faith was delivered one time to the saints by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That faith we are to earnestly contend for. To contend for something is to fight for it. To earnestly do so is to do it passionately. We must passionately fight for everything the Word of God says. And it doesn't matter who holds something different to this Word. Let God be true, but every man a liar. We must hold to Scripture. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. That must be our attitude. And young men, as I finish this series, and young women, but young men, we need young men, and the Lord's calling young men to stand in the gap, make up the gap, make up the hedge, and be faithful to the Word of God. We are going to go on a long trip all the way to heaven. And our bodies may or may not lie in the churchyard. I hope they do. But no matter where our bodies lie, where will you be? I hope you'll earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Amen. You say, well, if we go back 2,000 years and start living like people 2,000 years ago, we're going to be old-fashioned. I wish we were all old-fashioned. Right, young ladies? Old-fashioned. Fashioned just like the men of old. Fashioned like the old paths. We want to be old-fashioned. We want to be as old as the paths are in the Bible. Of course, they're going to be ridiculed. Those paths will be ridiculed, and you'll be ridiculed for being found in them. So what? Did you you hear David in Psalm 119? He didn't care. He said, depart from me, ye evildoers, for I want to keep the commandments of my God. He didn't care how many friends he had of worldlings. All he wanted were a few friends who loved God like himself. All he needed was a Jonathan. And back to back with swords drawn, I'll put them up against any pagan army of any size. You don't need a lot of friends. You need a few good friends. A few good men. Just a few. Noah didn't have many. David didn't have many. Paul didn't have many. But he still stood in the city of Rome, didn't he? He said, all men forsook me. But the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Praise his name. We need some men that will stand back to back like David and Jonathan and fight the good fight of faith and finish their course. We're in the midst of a decay of our society. You young people don't know it. You haven't read enough history. You haven't thought enough. You're not old enough to know how much has changed just in your parents' lifetimes in this country. We are living in the decay and collapse of our society, and the Christian world is rushing right along with them. As they fulfill 2 Timothy 3 and 4, we want to stand against all that. We're not proving or pounding our points in this series. It is simply to remind you, if you don't think I've proven my point well enough, it's been proven elsewhere. So save me from having to preach on this for a year and a half instead of a month and a half. If the Bible even hints, if the Bible even hints that God likes something done a certain way, what does that do to your soul? Don't you want to lay hold of that and do it? Don't you want to do it more zealously than anyone else? Don't you want to be like a David? Well, I'm going to read some things that you may consider the Bible's only hinting at that. I don't care if it's only hinting. If God's hinting at something, I want to do it. And if God's hinting at something we shouldn't do, I don't want to do that. Some of these matters may be Christian liberty in the degree of them. 
meaning where you end up. But let's call this the spectrum. This is what God would like. This is what God commands. This is what God endorses. This is what God hints at. And this is what God wonders about. This is what God condemns. You know, to be over there, we're wrong. To be over toward this right side, in some of the issues I'm going to bring up, there's a variation. You know, the Lord hasn't told you how many children you should have. The Lord hasn't told you women that your hair had better measure 21 inches at least. And that's by an English ruler. He doesn't say that. He just says long hair and he says large families are good. But where's, where's your heart of zeal for the Lord? When there was a temple to be built in Jerusalem for the worship of God, David didn't say, how little can I give so that the Lord will know I'm a giver? How little can I give? He, he gave all that he could because he said the temple must be exceeding magnifical. And all you women that can still grow hair, you can grow hair that is exceeding magnifical for the glory of God. It depends on the zeal of your heart. So we're, we're going to hit some subjects like that. But there's some latitude in here for Christian liberty. However, I, I exhort you that if you want to be like David, if you love the Lord, and if you're thankful for Him saving you, and you want to defend the truth, put a sword on and do something. Right. Don't play with these things. I mentioned Bible preaching last Sunday in the second service. Bible preaching. By the grace of God, I will read the Word of God distinctly to you and give the sense and cause you to understand the reading. I will roar and thunder from the Word of God. I will not try to do it with any theatrical presentation. I don't know how except to lay it on the table. Make it as plain as possible and you can take it or leave it. The Lord will judge you. He'll have the last laugh and I'll laugh with Him. I will weep and cry while I'm here. But if you want to reject the truth, I'll laugh with him when he laughs at you for not taking what is laid out on the table for you. I will not bring you stories, illustrations, anecdotes, jokes, or any other form of entertainment. I will bring you the Word of God. We're going to preach the Bible in this church because I'm told in that oath that Paul laid on Timothy, preach the Word. We're not going to shorten our sermons. We're not going to fill them with fluff. We're not going to neuter them of doctrine. We're not going to include illustrations until the unregenerate can listen to them and say that was a pretty speech. There's no prettiness that comes out of this pulpit unless you love the beauty of holiness and the beauty of doctrine, sound doctrine from God's words. We had many verses read to us. Were you chafing? Was your bottom sore? Did you want to get up and leave? Did you need a drink? Did you need to go potty? Or were you thinking about the Word of God? Those were wonderful verses. Josiah is a hero. Forget the founding fathers of our nation. Give me that kind of a founding father. He took a nation and turned it to righteousness. He took all the priests that were worshiping falsely and killed them. He didn't try to get along with them by saying, oh, we're all worshiping the same God and we're going to the same place. No, he killed them all. Dug up their bones threw their bones on their altars, defiled their temples. Don't you love men like that? Don't you love a Jehu who says you, who writes a letter to the nation of Israel and says, Ahab worshiped Baal only a little. I'm going to worship him much. I want to hold a festival to Baal like you've never seen in this nation. I want every single Baal worshiper in Samaria. And every Baal worshiper showed up and he led them into the house of Baal. 
And he had beside him a man named Jehonadab that has a whole chapter in the Bible written about him. It's Jeremiah 35. Jehu and Jehonadab. Let me put the two of them back to back and draw their swords. They'll take on any pagan army of any size. Oh, to have those two and David and Jonathan, forget it. It's not even fair. It's not fair no matter how big the army would be. Jehu said, I want every Baal worshiper in Samaria. He led them into the house of Baal. He gathered that whole assembly. It looked like a Benny Hinn crusade. He gathered them all there. And he said to them, make, look among yourselves and make sure that there is no worshiper of Jehovah in here. We don't want any worshiper of God in here. He'll make this ceremony. Yeah. Old Jehu, he was a man of truth. He was. The truth of God. And whatever it took to defend the truth of God, he was going to tell a lie. He said, look among yourselves. This is 2 Kings 9 and 10. I've loved the chapters for about 45, well, 40 years. Jehonadab and Jehu approach the altar of Baal and they offer a sacrifice. They pass out vestments to the whole crowd. They got robes over the guys so they couldn't get any weapons they might have on their bodies. They offer a sacrifice to Baal. That would relax the audience, wouldn't it? And then Jehu turned over to the side door where the captain of his army stood and he said, get in here. And if one escapes, I'll kill you for it. And Jehu and Jehonadab, the priests of Baal, walked out the door, and the soldiers came in and wiped out every Baal worshiper in the the temple, in the nation of Israel. And when they were done with that, Jehu turned their temple into a public toilet. In your King James Bible, it's called a draft house. That is not D-R-A-F-T, as if they made their own beer there. That is D-R-A-U-G-H-T, as if they did their duty there. Love the Word of God, brethren. Listen, why can't a young man get excited about serving this God? Young men, Jonathan, where's your sword? All you young men, to be like Jehu, to be like Jehonadab. Do you remember what Jehu said when he was riding along in his chariot? He, He saw Jehonadab, and he knew Jehonadab was one of the few left in Israel that truly feared God. And he said, come up into my chariot and I'll show you my zeal for the Lord. And he said, I will. And he got up in that chariot and that's what they went and did. Isn't that a great story? Those are great stories. You say, that's so, that's so mean. That's just, that people don't do that anymore today. I know it's a pity, isn't it? It's a pity that we can't do that anymore today. I'd like to get myself into a few Roman Catholic churches that way. Thank you, brother. Oh, relief at last. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord, and these are heroes of the faith. We want to be like them. Last Lord's Day, I mentioned to you preaching. We're going to preach the word of God from this pulpit. And I mentioned to you that you young ladies, every time you dress, every time you look in the mirror, every time you pick your clothes, every time you buy your clothes, please remember, you can hold an ancient landmark of the faith. You can hold a landmark of our fathers by dressing conservatively and hiding the shape and form of your body. You can reveal it all you want to your husband. And I hope you will, and I'll help you do it if you'll come to couples retreats. But until then, hide it, veil it, cover it. You can hold an ancient landmark of the faith. When your, when your father or your mother suggest that you're wearing too much makeup, that your dress is too tight, your blouse is too low, the sweater is too clingy, or anything like that, remember, you have an opportunity right at that moment to hold a landmark. Because this world is taking off more and more and more and more. 
You hold. You young girls can do it. You women can do it. Ladies can do it. Let's have people walk into this church and say they dress differently. I don't mean dress doubtily. I mean dress beautifully and with class and style. You know, those little sluts and whores that dress with that kind of clothing, the attire of a harlot, as Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10 describes it, we don't want that in here. And we've got to stand. You've got to look different. You can't look like the world. They've changed too much. We can go with fashion as long as it's not immodest. But when it becomes immodest, we have to draw a line. So you can't look like them because they're not modest anymore. That was last Lord's Day. I hope that you'll remember what it said. If you want to adorn yourself so that noble princes come along, so that a Jehonadab, a Jehu, a David, or a Jonathan would want to marry you, it's not because you're showing off your body in public. They don't want to marry someone like that that shows off what she's got to others. They want someone that is adorned with good works and has a meek and quiet spirit because they know as that woman ages, she's going to get better and better. And the princes only look for those kind. They want the women that love the Word of God, that fear God, that want to do what's right, that honor their parents, that have gracious and sweet spirits. That's the kind of woman they want. And God's blessing one right now. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. John, the beloved apostle whom Jesus loved, who lay on his bosom at supper, was on the Isle of Patmos. He was a lover of truth. He stood for truth, and the Roman government banished him to the Isle of Patmos as a punishment to let him die on that island. He says in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother. Every one of you read this personally. Who do you think the Bible's written to? I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was banished because I loved God's Word and I loved the Jesus Christ that that Word of God reveals. I was on that island. But here's what we want to see that he was doing. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him even on the island of Patmos. Praise the Lord. When someone stands for the Word of God and stands for Jesus Christ, no matter if he is banished to a little lonely island where he's expected to die, Jesus Christ can appear to him there. The Lord can be, the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul was forsaken by men in Rome, but he stood before Caesar with the Lord Jesus Christ right beside him. Now, forget Jehu, Jehonadab, David, and Jonathan. I want the son of David beside me. The son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have a one-edged sword. He's got a two-edged sword. And it's coming out of his mouth. And with one little word, he shall fell all his enemies. That's the one I want beside me. And he came to John on the island of Patmos. And if you read it, he didn't come as a babe in a manger, did he? He didn't come on a crucifix, did he? He didn't come as a humiliated Savior who was going to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter. He came as the King of kings and Lord of lords. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet were like burning brass. His voice was like a sound of many waters. And he said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. 
That's the one you want with you, and he can come to you in Patmos. But here's the point I'm driving at. It is an ancient landmark. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. They preserved the Lord's Day for the Lord. Sunday is not your day. It's the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Do the things you do on Sunday lead you to be in the Spirit, or do they lead you to be in the flesh? You'll never know this man, the man Christ Jesus. He'll never come to you if you do things in the flesh on the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. We do not require the Sabbath. But I'll tell you the Sabbath is an important and powerful principle from the Old Testament. But the day designated for the worship of God should be kept different. How can you be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day if you're filling yourself with the flesh? There's six days in the week that you can fill yourself with your flesh. There's six days you can do all the carnal things that, that are necessary in your life. But what about the day to have this kind of a relationship? And again, remember, I've already said it and I don't want to have to say it again. There's some degree of latitude. However, if it's this wide from sinning against the God of heaven and being in the flesh and over here being in the Spirit, where do you want to be? We may have some latitude over here, but it's over here. Because the children of God, the ancient landmarks, this is one of our fathers, our the beloved Apostle John. On the Lord's Day, he was in the Spirit. You say, well, does it really matter that we set one day? It's called the Lord's Day in the New Testament. Make it different. I thank God for my Father who made us make that day different in my entire life. We couldn't play outside. Could not go outside. I'm just telling you my Father's liberty. If it offends you, let it offend you. I love Him for it. We kept the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day from beginning to end. How serious is this principle to the Lord? Come all the way back in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. I remember when I moved to Greenville, South Carolina 22 years ago. When I moved here 22 years ago, you couldn't do much on Sunday. The malls weren't open. The city was shut down. There were a few places you could go eat. 22 years. That's this much time. Those are called blue laws. What happened? This is the buckle of the Bible belt. There's over 400 Baptist churches in Greenville County. What happened? No one cares. No one cares about the ancient landmarks anymore. All they want to do is sit in church for one hour, and if you go over, I'm walking out. I'm walking out, and I'm going to go do what I want to do because it's my day, it's my weekend, and why are you stealing it from me by making me sit in the house of God and listen to something as boring as the Bible? But you know what? Just a few years ago, they understood that it was the Lord's Day, and we weren't out to be running around. Who would we need to shop? Why would you need to open the mall? Who's going shopping on a Sunday anyway? Because they're in the house of God. They're going to be there in the morning. They're going to be there in the evening. They're going to have a nice dinner and they're going to talk about the things of God during the afternoon. In 22 years? Something's happened. It's happening. And we've got to stay it. We've got to stay it. We can't join them. We've got to hold getting in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and calling it the Lord's Day, and acting like it's the Lord's Day, and setting the Lord first on His day. If it's His day, should He be second, third, or fourth? Or should He be first? Who is going to stand? And again, you can give a $100 toward the temple, you can give a 1000 or you can give like David did. Your choice. 
You can be an average little failing Christian, or you can be one like David. May God bless us all to be convicted to be like David. There's only one way to be like David and Josiah, and it's to do it with your might. Numbers chapter 15. Oh, what a story. Verse 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Numbers 15.32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward. Detention center. Because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this is the word of God. You can have your little fancy, pretty, effeminate ideas in your little head about how religion ought to operate. This is God's religion right here. A man sinned presumptuously against the Lord. You can go read verses 30 and 31, and it tells us that it was a presumptuous sin against the Lord. This man did not have a need to go out there and pick up sticks on the Sabbath day. He wanted to go do it anyway. The Lord said it's simple. Take him outside the camp and let the whole church have a stoning party. And they stoned him to death. This is the God of the Bible. This is why David said, who was a man after God's own heart, whom God had led all his life, he said, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee because of thy righteous judgments. These are his righteous judgments. And I'm telling you, they apply to the day that he has set aside to be worshipped. He is worshipped on the first day of the week now, not by Old Testament sabbatical laws, but by the fact that Jesus Christ showed himself alive after his resurrection on this day. And then again the next Lord's Day. Then again the next Sunday. And then we come to Acts 20, and Paul's breaking bread with the disciples on the first day of the week. We come to 1 Corinthians 16, and they're giving their gifts on the first day of the week. And it's called the Lord's Day. And when you're in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the Lord comes and visits. We do not want to have church services where the Lord doesn't show up. If just we show up, it's no church service at all. It's the congregation of the dead. And He's going to show up where there are people in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I have tried over the last seven years to get you to start thinking about the Lord's Day at 6 o'clock on Saturday night because the Lord thinks, not because it's a New Testament law, but because the Lord thinks the evening and the morning make up a day, not the day and the evening. The Lord starts at 6 o'clock the night before. That was the times throughout the Bible. You know, we run days and nights from midnight to midnight. But it's 6 o'clock, and it's not, you know, how you apply it depends on your zeal. But at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, we should start thinking about the Lord's Day. Because in the Lord's way of looking at time, we are entering the Lord's day. The evening always precedes the day. The night precedes the day. We think of a day and a night. We got it backwards. You know, we use the night to survive the day. We, We barely make it through the day. Then we use the night to recover. The Bible didn't present it that way. The Bible did it this way. Use the night to prepare for the day that's in front. It's a whole different perspective about living. The evening and the morning were the first day. Six o'clock at night. Why'd they want to get Jesus Christ off the cross at five o'clock? Because what was drawing on? The Sabbath was drawing on. You know, we've tried. I sent it a preparatory email. Charlie, thank you for your initial encouragement for me to do that. I remember how much you appreciated it way back years ago. And we, we continue to do it. And there's a reason for it. 
and it's changed my family's life. On Saturday night, we start thinking about the next day and making it the Lord's Day and getting into the Spirit. How do you get into the Spirit? You read the Word of God, you pray, you sing, and you think about spiritual things. Now, is that hard? Is it complicated? Do we need to examine that in the Greek and the Hebrew? That is so simple. You know, instead of watching college football until 11.30 at night, oh, yeah, they run those stupid West Coast games until midnight here on the East Coast. And so you can watch football from 12 noon until 12 midnight. You know, you can... You know, you can fill your soul with 12 hours of football and then you're irritated because you've got to spend 20 minutes reading the Word of God to get prepared for tomorrow. But if you watch football that long and you read the Word of God for 20 minutes, you ain't preparing nothing. You're sticking your little finger in a dam trying to stop the flood of water coming out. I love the Lord Jesus Christ of Revelation chapter 1. I believe that most of you do. I know who He appears to. He appears to those that walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. He appears to those that are in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This is a landmark that's fallen by the wayside. The blue laws are gone. Now you can do anything you want on Sunday. Just about. You say, oh, they they still don't sell alcohol in Greenville County. Well, isn't that a pity? If there's, They sell it in the city of Greenville, but not in Greenville County. So there's a, there's a dividing line in our whole city. So there's a few little remnants left, but you know, that's a ridiculous one. If there's any time you could use a glass of wine to relax a little bit and make sure you're in the spirit, it would be on the Lord's Day. But they don't look at wine that way. They have a, a whole different perspective about it. But you don't need, you shouldn't need, you shouldn't need wine. Need it on the Lord's Day because you should be in the spirit by appealing to the things God has given us in His Word to get in the spirit. I don't have any more to say about that. I want you to examine your lives. Are you holding an ancient landmark of our father John? And I mean John as a father that set an ancient landmark in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Let's keep the Lord's Day a spiritual day. Let's keep it the Lord's Day, not your day. The Lord's Day. Let's make the Lord the center of that day. You say one day out of seven, I won't get enough done. You're trying to get too much done. If you'd give the Lord His day, you'd get more done in six. Promise guaranteed. Because except the Lord keep the house, run the business, and watch the city, the, the watchman waketh but in vain. The Lord can do more in six than you'll ever do in eight. Amen. Lord, help us. We love You. We love Your day. Help us keep it holy in a New Testament way. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Lord, All we want is to look in Your Word and find the hints, the commandments, the precepts, the statutes of things that You love, and we want to love them, and we want to hate vain thoughts. And those vain thoughts often well up in our own souls. Remember our frame, Lord. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. Help us. Give us grace and strength to do what we ought to do. I thank God for my Father, though He's not here this morning because He's sick. I thank Him. That all the days of my life, the Lord's Day, had to be different. Remember, brother? He let us play like wild banshees six days a week. And we did. We took him up on his liberty. But on the Lord's Day, we couldn't. Sometimes we'd look out that picture window of our house to that large field that was there beside McGregor Road, and all of our friends were out there playing. I thank God for our Father. He was trying to hold an ancient landmark. 
They knew they, they didn't even come to the door. They knew. The two guys that played with them six days a week weren't available on the Lord's Day. Titus chapter 2, let me jump to another landmark. Another thing that's fallen by the wayside in our generation. I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read six verses. I want you to look for the word sober. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Oh, the things I'm about to read to you are sound doctrine. Men will no longer endure sound doctrine, so these things must not be liked in this generation. If we connect Scripture to Scripture. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Old men are to be sober and grave. Young men are to be exhorted to be sober-minded. That's the only thing pulled out here for young men. I wonder if that's because it's their biggest problem. Old women are to teach young women to be sober. And for someone to teach something, that means and implies that they old women were sober as well. So we have sobriety pressed upon all four categories of a church. And the 15th verse of this chapter, Paul wrote Titus and said, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Sobriety is important, and it is something that has fallen by the wayside. Today there is so much jesting, joking, teasing, sarcasm, instead of, and foolish talking and filthiness, instead of sober, grave, solemn, valuable, wise speech. Lord, help us. This is a landmark. This is a landmark established by the Bible. In Ecclesiastes, the wise man would say, it is better to go to a funeral than to a party. This world wants to party all the time. They want to avoid funerals as much as possible. In fact, let's cancel them and burn the body. We'll get, we'll get to burning bodies in just a few weeks. Sometime. Maybe today, hopefully. It's better to go to a funeral. Where does it say that? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 6. Because the house of mourning is better than the house of mirth. It is better to hear the wise when they're talking about death and dying at a funeral, than it is to hear the cackling of fools. And Ecclesiastes 7, 2 through 6 tears into that. We as a church, young men, young women, let's not giggle, let's not chatter. Let's be wise, let's be sober, let's be grave, like the Bible tells us to be. Let the rest of the world laugh themselves to hell. Their laughing is going to stop dead cold when they meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us meet Him right now because He wants to come to us because we're sober and grave in our deportment, in our conduct, in our speech, and in the way that we approach His worship. Let's keep our conversation solemn, sober, important, grave, talking about important things. To be sober means not to be light, superficial, or goofy. It's a commandment. It's a landmark. We want it. We want to have it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, 3 through 5, it says, 
Filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Do you want something light, lighter and uplifting to talk about? Give thanks. Just be thankful. But not filthiness, not foolish talking, and not jesting, but rather the giving of thanks. That is a convenient way of using your lips. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. One more before our break. Quickly, it depends on you to get to Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 quickly. Romans 12, 13. Read the Word of God distinctly, give the sense, and cause the people to understand the reading. We've just looked at the word sober. We want to be sober. We looked at being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And now we come to this one, Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. We've already covered that. Giving is a part of, is one of the landmarks of our faith, but it's this one, given to hospitality. Hospitality means taking people into your home for lodging or for food or for providing food or lodging for someone. The good Samaritan did not take the wounded Jew all the way home. The good Samaritan put the Jew up and fed him and took care of him. Hospitality. Now we're to be given to it. To be given to something is to be obsessed with it, addicted to it, prone to it, subject to it, vulnerable to it. It's something that takes over you. It's something that controls your life. You are given to hospitality. The Bible also uses this little expression by being given to filthy lucre or being given to wine. That means to be controlled by that thing. Or it affects your life and influences you. We want to be affected, controlled, and influenced by hospitality. You know, in, a, in previous generations, because every family unit needed the other family units more, there was more hospitality shown. It was hard being pioneers in a hard country. Therefore, to raise a barn, clear a field, or do a lot of large projects, you had to do it with others involved. You couldn't do it by yourself. So there was a great deal of community of spirit that involved a lot of hospitality. And when a stranger was coming through, there weren't hotels, so they stayed in your house. You never thought about it. You just pull out another plate. We need more of that. We are weak on that. We have some brothers in this church that are very good at it. We want to be better at it. It is a landmark set by our fathers. It is set right here, given to hospitality. When it comes to qualifying any widow to be under the, to be eligible for the support of this church, one of the things that's said about her in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10, she lodged strangers. That means she took strangers that she did not know and put them up in her house. She lodged strangers. Or she paid for them to be lodged at a comfortable inn. Lodge strangers. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 13 that some have entertained angels unawares this way. Right. You know, when it, the, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit would not have used that verse if it was only done one time in history. And that's when Abraham had three men come to his place. And, you know, he, 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 he set a spread for them. Do you, have you read about what he did? He said, hold, hold on right here. Sit down. Let me make you comfortable. Here's some water for your feet. I'll be right back. And he ran out the back door, told Sarah, you do this, this, and this. I'm going to run over here and, and break the neck of one of these goats or sheep here, and we're going to prepare a meal for them. And it was fresh. They're still sitting, and the meat arrives. You know, and it was just on hoof. That's fresh. That ain't like Bilo. Sorry, brother. Um, that is hospitality. And in Hebrews 13, it says, 
Some have entertained angels unawares. The Lord would not have said that unless He's watching our entertainment very closely. How often you have people in your home or you take care of people to show them warmth, comfort, food, shelter, and a bed. Lord, have mercy upon us. It's a landmark of the faith, and we want to be better at it. It's a shrinking practice in virtue today. It has nothing to do with being Southern. It has everything to do with being a Christian. 